Welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast, Wordo. We're, we're really into the NBL season. It started fantastically. Crowds are up year on year. Uh, more people are watching it on TV and online. ESPN, KO, we, we can't forget our friends at Sky Sports over in New Zealand, but uh, it, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been awesome so far. The, the one thing I'm really enjoying is probably the parity in the league so far. Uh, every team's got a loss. Uh Adelaide's the only team without a win. Uh, they battled really well over this past weekend against two good teams in Perth and Sydney. Uh, a few crucial errors at wrong times really led to their downfall. But uh, I'm enjoying the the amount of talent that's in the NBL. I'm enjoying uh, what I'm seeing as far as individual plays and team plays. If you watch the, the Jack Jumpers this weekend, they were outstanding. Um and it's just been a lot of fun basketball that we've got to witness over two rounds. So the, the way we're going to do this, because we recorded last week's episode and we liked it enough, but we don't want to get in the habit of just going over every game and results. Other people can do that. So, so what we thought we'd do today is... We'll do better. We'll, we'll be better. <laughs> uh, so no, no, we've just picked out five talking points, um, things that we found ourselves texting each other about over the weekend and... Probably the interesting one, and we'll start with number one, um, the Aaron Baines, Adam Ford, inverted commas, or confrontation, let's call it, in the hallway. And, um, you know, we were watching the game and Bainesy, probably fair to say, overreacted to a situation on the court and was very, very lucky that it didn't escalate further. And the referee that walked away, I thought, did a fantastic job, but you could see him looking to continue it. And your message to me as they walked off the court, you actually said that if anyone, if I'm Cairns and I want anyone to go in and bat for me, it'd be Aaron Ford. Adam. Five minutes later, it's reported that Aaron Ford and Aaron Baines had a confrontation. Adam Ford. Adam Ford and Aaron Baines had a confrontation in the hall. So what have you heard? What do you think? Well, first off, uh, you said the umpires did a good job of walking away. Uh, the scuffle behind the closed doors probably would have, wouldn't have happened had they just thrown him out of the game. Like, I don't know of any player that could react like that and not get thrown out of a game. Um, and so I think you'd... Let me, let, let me clarify that. I like the fact that they, they weren't a knee-jerk throw-a-star of this league out of the game. That They teched him. They gave him a second. He walked away and the next referee came in to, to deal with it. It was right on halftime or just before it. But I've always been an advocate that our referees blow the whistle too quickly in the NBA. Yep. Whether it's a foul or whether it's an emotional decision like that, I like the fact that they waited it is my point. And if it had have played out better in the halftime, look, let's be honest, if they walked out opposite ends of the court, and Brisbane's one court, they walk in and out of the same entrance, which I don't think is a great thing. No. But that wouldn't have happened if each team went their own ways for a start. Correct. So that's why I like what the referee did, because we don't want our superstars being thrown out of games. We want to watch them play yep. basketball. Um, 
The reaction to the elbow that Lapman threw at him now. We, we've both played basketball. We understand elbows is a part of what you and I used to do, especially. Um, and Lapman, I don't know if it was deliberate or not. It didn't seem deliberate. I think he was just, he's out of his weight class with Baines in the first place. He copped in. The umpire should have seen that. Um, Baines, he threw him to the side. They had some words. They kept on going. Um, but then the interesting part is what happened behind closed doors. We're not going to find out. Well, the NBL's come out and said that they're not going to say anything until the review's been complete. I'm assuming that there's footage. I can't wait to see the footage of that. That's going to be entertaining. Well, well, Aaron Ford's mic'd up for the broadcast. So they've got... Is his brother Adam, so what is his brother Adam Ford mic'd up too? But did I, did, did this I is, say Aaron this, this is three times, four times you skull. Well, um, <laughs> oh, okay, we're, 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 okay, we're playing. Okay, right. <laughs> but, but, but clearly they have at least audio. That's a good point. And hopefully, and hopefully video. That's a good point. Yeah. I think Bainsey... Baines is an emotional player. Um, he definitely wears his heart on his sleeve. He's he's passionate about it. Um, like you said, probably a bit of an overreaction to the overall scheme of things. Obviously, the heat watching Sobi hang off uh, Baines reminded me when uh, Luke Kendall was trying to pull off Mika Vakona when he was going at you back in the day. Oh, pause, massive pause. Uh, Pull Mika Vakona back when you and Mika were having an argument during uh, game three of our grand final series. That sort of that was actually my first initial thought was that <laughs> that looked exactly like Kendall trying to hold back Mika Vakona. Uh, yeah, which is a credit to how strong Mika Vakona was as well back in the day. Um, I, I, the elephant in the room in my mind, and it hasn't I haven't seen it spoken about is whenever I see someone react to a basketball situation like that, I wonder why. Because it's not just the elbow. So within about a minute of that happening, I thought, I wonder what, I wonder what else is going on in Bainsey's world, especially given the limited information we know about the incident that happened at the Tokyo Olympics and the ongoing conversation you know, about Bainsey battling with his mental health. So my hope in a situation like this is that everything's okay. We we, sh- we always need to take into account why, and I hope that it's an isolated incident. But I think that's one aspect of it, but I think you and I both know that it's a competitive sport and we get pissed off from time to time. And uh, you've thrown your fair share of elbows at people. I've thrown my fair share of elbows at people back in the day. Um and it's purely out of probably frustration. Um, they were coming up against a Cairns team that is a very plucky sort of underdog team. Brisbane obviously riding the first two victories of the season like they were supposed to win. And, and Cairns have beaten them eight out of the last, ten, the last eight times in Brisbane as well. Um, so who knows what it is? Uh, you say it's the elephant in the room. We'll wait and see what the film shows of where his frustration levels were at and the audio that comes out of it. But um, it was entertaining. 
Hey, we're, we're still talking about it. All right, that's enough of that one. The, the second point, and I'd like you to take the lead on this one, The every year we speak about imports coming into the league, we speak about next stars, and one of the imports who has, in my mind, really flown under the radar and is a genuine superstar in this league is Milton Doyle. Talk to me about your observations of Milton Doyle, maybe last year as well, but to start this season. Yeah, so he was one guy on my scouting report that I was just like, this guy's just an absolute professional. Like, he's not a guy that jumps up and down and acts like a dickhead. He's not a guy that takes bad shots uh, for his team. And down the stretch, he's the absolute go-to guy um, for the Jackies. What I saw... And I'll talk mainly about the Melbourne United game because that comeback down 13, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, a lot of it ran through Milton Doyle and his shot-making ability. Um, What I saw was a guy that just had patience to get the right shot. I mean, his ability to reject the screen and go the other way and create separation, I thought was unreal. And um, we've sung the praises of Scott Roth over and over again about the culture that he's built and the ability, what he's been able to do with this Jack Jumpers team. Um, Finding, you and I both know this, finding imports that fit within the Australian culture that play at a high level are worth so much more to you as an organisation. And Milton Doyle seems to really embrace the Jack Jumpers culture. He really goes about his business in a very professional manner and first team all NBL this year and somehow like the Jack Jumpers team they sort of just get written off a little bit uh, but they always seem to pop up and, and perform so huge props to Milton Doyle and what he was able to do over the weekend. The third point on our, on our run sheet is the southeast Melbourne Phoenix and when the season started, our absolute number one talking point for the Phoenix to be successful was getting their players on the floor. Now, a little bit unfair to throw it into the same basket, but they just can't get it done. And Tyler Cook went down with a poke to the eye and uh, I spoke to Sam McKinnon after the game and uh, I think it was Sam Wardenberg's finger from memory, but he said even he knew that it went all the way in. And it was a really good one. And from all reports, it's a really genuine eye injury. And I'm, and I, I think most people will understand what I mean when I say I'm glad it was, because the way he reacted, if it was a little nick, and he went down kicking and screaming and yelling, you, you know as well as I that you know across the years with the league, oftentimes, you know, in, new imports to the league will go down like they're shot. They don't like being hit. They don't like being touched. And the, it's almost like the more they make or the higher opinion they have of themselves, the harder they go down and the longer they stay down. And that was my first thought when he went down. So I was almost pleased that it was a genuine injury and his response was in line with that. But having said that now, of course, we hope that he's okay. But what we did see is that that there's not much depth there. Reese Vague is really struggling to find rhythm. You know, he's a guy that has played numerous games for the Boomers in the qualifying series 
over the last few years and someone held in high regard. He's had a reasonably successful international career before being lured back. Um, what do you think he's struggling with at the moment the most? Finding a right tattoo artist. <laughs> I, I just don't think he can... It's his role. It's his It's his shot. He's very dependent on knocking down a perimeter shot. He's, he's not quick. He's not athletic. He needs... Yeah, the, the league may have even gone past him a little bit with the speed and the length of it. I think it's difficult in his position. Uh, we spoke about it in the last episode about how important that four spot has become. You know, where Mitch Creek has obviously done well for the Phoenix over the last couple of seasons, but now finds himself as the five man and they need to find a four man. Uh, and you would think with this almost five-out sort of offense that Reese Vague should be able to flourish in it as a spot-up shooting big, but he's just struggling. Confidence. Obviously, he's not giving much on the defensive end. He's not hitting any... Well, he hasn't hit a shot yet. He's only hit free throws this season. Um, I'd be concerned if I was the Phoenix, and depending on how much they paid him, and I can't imagine it would be cheap to get him back uh, from Japan, but maybe it speaks to what the Japan League is um, because obviously he's, he's struggled mightily coming back from here. We lose a lot of our talent to Japan because they pay a premium to get some of our better talent. Nick Kay, for example, um, DJ from up in Cairns, a couple, Newble from a few years back. Um, but he's just really struggled in... You know, if you would have asked me at the start of the season, who do you get more value from, Craig Moller or Reese Vague in this Phoenix team? I would have told you Reese Vague, but Craig Moller is doing such a better job for them currently uh, and understanding his role and knocking down shots and playing good defense. Um, yeah. The, the, the one thing from the outside looking in that the Phoenix haven't had in their existence is points of difference on their roster. Mm -hmm. You know, you know there, there was a couple of years where they had, you know, that two, three, four, everyone was the same. Everyone played the same way, the same style. They don't have anyone who's different on their roster. It's a little bit the same as you say, Craig Moller, and as you say, they're the same. You know, what, what does Mike Kelly go to if plan A is not working? I'm not talking strategy. I'm talking skill set. Of the players, it's just a really interesting roster build, and one that if a style of play is not working, you can't throw in a shot blocker or you can't throw in a lightning quick guard. It's yeah, you know, there there are some early warning signs for the Phoenix. Um, I was pleased to see Will Cummings have a better week. Uh, obviously, he comes with high credentials of being the MVP of the French League. We know that he's a scorer and he needs to be a scorer right now with all these injuries, but it does come down to uh, your best ability sometimes is your availability and the availability of the Phoenix since their inception has been horrific. Uh, from Mike Kelly currently, um, for what they've had previously, uh, I just think that they need to have a good look at 
what's going on within the club because uh, it hasn't been great. The fourth point, and it's one that I just can, am more and more impressed with this player. I message you, I message a few others, and I, I just really like watching Bobby Clintman play. He, and again, I'm probably biased because, you know, when I was up at the Blitz, I think I said on this podcast that, that I sat with him for a few minutes and was really impressed. And so I've got a soft, soft spot for him in a very short window of time as a human being. But, you know, Sam Vecini, who we've had on, and, you know, he mentioned that early on you could see the gears clicking over in his brain as he was trying to figure it out. It's like he's figured it out already. As soon as the ball hits his hands, he's into his shot or he's into his move. He knows what happens next. He's much improved on the defensive end. He's knocking down the three ball consistently. Um, he's great in the open court. And, you know, outside of Alexander Saar, who he will all, in all likelihood be a top five pick, for me, Bobby Clintman's a one that this next star program is really, really highlighting and demonstrating that he has all kinds of potential and, again, has a lot of people in his corner because he seems to be a good human being. Like I said last week, he's just in the right situation. Like, he's got a, a good role to have in that second quarter versus Southeast Melbourne Phoenix where he strung a couple together, defensive plays, making baskets. Like, that was his... Like the turn, like you said, like where it all clicked for him straight away. And um, he's fun to watch. Like great length, a lot of fun. great length on the defensive end. He gives the Taipans something I'm not sure they've had for a long period of time as a, a rim defender, uh, rebounder. Um, he, made, he made a lot of people miss a lot of shots in that Phoenix game. And then for him to knock down big shots late in the game versus Brisbane in Brisbane. Like you could see look, the excitement in him. And as you said, he's the one next star who has just flourished in this so far outside of Saar. And Saar is a different kettle of fish and even more impressive when you get to watch him live, Chris, like the way that he moves around the court and his shot-making ability is fantastic. But... To me, Bobby Clinton, Clintman is not that far off what Saar is doing in Perth. Very, very similar sort of players right now. It's um, the, the thing, the other thing that stands out, and it, it's it's an uncoachable thing, I think. A lot of it probably comes down to the person, but he doesn't seem to be affected by pressure. He doesn't seem to be impacted by those who he's clearly got over here with him. And this is a really big one. He seems to be having fun. You look at some of the other next stars, it seems to be a grind. They seem uncertain. They seem like they're trying to prove themselves. You know, I'm really looking forward to watching the next star crop and see if they settle into the season because that's what it does. The next star program promises you a pathway to the NBA. So by default, you're trying to prove that you belong in the NBA. I think the minute one by one these players stop trying to prove that they're an NBA player and just settle into their team, settle into their roles, 
and just relax and enjoy it, they'll start figuring out what Saar clearly already knows and clearly what Bobby Clintman knows. Um, one that just came across, uh, and, and the fifth point, uh, Justinian Jessup, I had no idea he was hurt. He's got a pelvic injury. Uh, and the breakers have gone and signed ex-Golden State Warrior uh, Anthony Lamb, who off the top of my head played 62 games for the Golden State Warriors last year, averaged six points, three and a half odd rebounds. So genuine minutes, genuine role in a very good team. And, you know, there have been some stories around him that I'm not going to speculate on and, you know, things that, you know, a lot of times people jump at stories and wonder about character. But on the surface, we spoke last week about New Zealand being one of the most talented teams in this thing. If you're only looking at talent, this is actually an upgrade through injury. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what it gives, I look across the board, Finn Delaney, Tom Abercrombie, Lamb, um, the next star when he gets back healthy, like they've got good length across the across the court now. Um, Lamb is a genuine scorer, and he will be a genuine scorer for this team as well. Uh, but depth wise and talent wise, geez, like the breakers are getting it done. They're the five things we wanted to talk about. Anything else jumped to mind now that we've started rolling through this thing? I, I want to go back and touch on the Next Stars program as well. And it's interesting that we're two rounds into this or, and uh, AJ Johnson, who came over with a huge hype and huge rap, is not cracking into the rotation for Illawarra currently. Um, and... We've seen that Jacob is just churning his players sub after sub, trying to play a fast-paced game, and that's the way that they want to play. And that's sort of the style that would suit AJ Johnson. However, he can't even get minutes currently. And the other one is Flowers, who I got to watch a little bit on the weekend. Um, obviously started as a the starting point guard for him and went through that experiment, and now is also struggling for minutes. Um, from your point of view, obviously we try and pump up the next stars because we want to make this the best pathway outside of what college can offer as far as making it to the NBA. After two rounds, do you think we've got too many next stars that we've hyped it up a bit too much this season? I don't think we have too many. I think we went looking too hard you know, to, to sign them for the sake of signing them. And I don't say that in any negative connotation. And, and let me be really, really clear here. Liam Santa Maria does a great job scouring the globe. Absolutely. And presenting these players to clubs. My thought all along has been, as I've said a number of times, that you get to choose between having a next star who has a genuine role in your team or winning, but you need to choose. So, you know, as teams, as every team in the league still has their eyes set on a play-in spot and a final spot, 
these next stars need to earn their minutes. They can't just be handed to them because a, a franchise's season will be over before it starts. If you drop games on the back of getting a 19-year-old kid a lot of minutes that you may or may not have promised. Now, the thing that will be interesting moving forward, you know, we've had next stars and Josh Giddy was one, LaMelo Ball was another, who when their team is out of contention and they're guaranteed a high draft pick, you know, stick a fork in them, they're done, they don't want to risk getting hurt. How early are we going to see a next star go home really, really early through lack of opportunity to explore a different pathway? And I think uh, mental blank, uh, Daniel Moldovan's kid was at Cairns, went to Adelaide, ended up going to the Mojave team. King. Mojave King. The NBL didn't suit him or the, or the environments in which he played didn't suit him and he was able to be drafted after time in the G League. So I'll always say that there's no there's no best pathway. And I, I, would, I would argue that college isn't necessarily the best pathway. Mm-hmm. There isn't the best pathway for players. There is a more appropriate pathway based on each individual player. And, you know, we've got kids who are going to be playing in the French League, kids will play in the German League. There's leagues all around the world that if that's where you feel like you'll be able to demonstrate your talent, sure, go for it. But I don't think any other league around the world is promoting or has the type of program that's so that, that focuses so heavily on these young kids. Um, so going back to your point, do we have too many? No, but the last couple in probably aren't at the level of the first few in. Next question I want to ask you is we're about to witness the next instalment of MBL versus NBA with Cairns and New Zealand over in the States. Um, I know for timing purposes, I have to do it at this time because this is when NBA teams are starting to play their practice games. How would you feel two rounds into a season having to travel to America to play two games that mean not much in the, in the scheme of things to travel back to continue to try and get wins in a league that will no doubt, as we've seen already, be tightly contested for wins all throughout the season. Um, do you have any thoughts around the NBL, NBA schedule as it currently stands? It, it's extraordinarily difficult. There, Look, the, the positives are, and for me, that the main positives are, well, exposure for the league, I, I think that helps, but there are a lot of other leagues around the world doing this same thing. It's an incredible basketball experience for some of these players who will never have an opportunity to play in an NBA game or against NBA players. So there's clearly positives, but I, I would love to go back and look at the, the next few weeks of results after of the teams who've travelled. Um, you know, New Zealand are going this year and Cairns are going and one of two things is happening. They're rotating through to make sure every team in the NBL gets a go or the higher profile, higher spending teams have begun to say no and, and they're going further down the list. Um, I don't know what it is, but geez, it, it, it's a tough one. I, I, I do know that there are teams who have been that have no interest in going because the championship means more to them. Um, what I'd like to see as a solution is 
that we have a one-off game to start the season on the weekend. So typically, uh, we start our round on grand final weekend with AFL and NRL. Uh, what if the weekend before, when there's only a handful of games anyway, that we played Cairns and New Zealand in a one-off game to start the season, and then the season officially tips off the following week? They play the two rounds. Cairns and New Zealand uh, go away, but then they have a buy once they get back to acclimatise again because coming back from the States is super, super difficult. We mean, teams complain in the AFL travelling to Perth and back and same in the NBL, coming to Perth and back and playing the next week. It's a whole different ball game when you have to travel across the world to play a game to come back that means nothing. I, th- I think there are two solutions. Eventually, everybody wants to get an NBA team to Australia. Clearly, that is the absolute that that's the end game for Larry in the NBL to get an NBA an NBA team here. But I think in the interim, it's somehow finding one of the West Coast teams to have their training camp in Hawaii and meeting them halfway, meeting them meeting them in Hawaii, playing there before they fly back to the mainland. But I think I, I, I've got a slightly different view of your idea. So this year, New Zealand and Cairns go and play. In, the, in these NBA games, I would say that the two games following should be New Zealand versus Cairns, Cairns versus New Zealand, so there's no advantage or disadvantage. They're playing each other while they're both re-acclimatising. So whatever happens before, happens before, but those those week and a half, ten, you know, after they get back, they're playing against each other while they get back in the sink. So or, they stay, way, or they stay a few days longer, and if they're doing this as expansion into showing our games into America... They play a game in the States. There you go. But I think they play each other. I think the teams who travel to the United States have to play each other in the immediate games following their trips. Um, Speaking of Lou and where we've traced into the NBA, the the one conversation I wanted to have with you is James Harden. Um, For someone who... He's a multiple all-star, an MVP. Was James Harden MVP sure in was. the league? Um, he has absolutely zero value to apparently every team in the NBA right now that no one wants him, even at a reduced contract rate. Uh, he's off-court and his willingness to quit on teams is a risk too great for seemingly 29 teams around the NBA. I, it, it, and then a step further becomes what in the world goes on in Philadelphia? We've had this same thing, Ben Simmons. Now we've got Harden. They've, they've had two guys quit and walk out on them uh, in the last three years that, you know, I'll just touch on it again. Joel Embiid's got to be one foot out the door, whatever he's saying this could be the nail in the coffin for Joel Embiid as a 76er. Yeah, history has taught us that uh, Harden tends to hold teams at ransom to he gets what he wants. He wanted out of Houston and wanted to go to Brooklyn, and that happened. He wanted to get out of Brooklyn and wanted to go to Philly, and that happened. I think Philly are just... Well, 
the relationship between him and Daryl Morey is already a, a strained relationship at best. Um, but if you're another franchise, why would you want James Harden? Is he a proven winner? Nope. Has he been... Uh, would he be a guy that most teams would want to play with as a style of basketball? I can't imagine. So, no. Um, so, I think he's... While he's had individual success over a, a long period of time of what he's been able to do and his offensive output... Um, he sort of burned his own bridge at the same time. <laughs> and so you're right. I don't see much value. It's funny, him, uh, Westbrook has sort of done the same thing. Um, yeah. Well, you and I both aren't James Harden fans, to say the least. So I don't have too much good to say about him in the first place. Is, is, there, anywhere that, is there anywhere that you the, – the only place – Dwight Howard in the Philippines. It could end up being. Imagine that. Imagine that as a fall from grace. And you're looking at the LA Clippers, who he's most strongly connected to, but who have apparently given up conversation because they're not willing to give up Terrence Mann and a draft pick for James Hunt. Can you imagine that two years ago? How crazy that would sound. We'd have to go back and look at what Houston got from Brooklyn and what. Uh, Brooklyn got from Philly in these trades to sort of marry them up, but I can't imagine. That's what we're about here on the podcast, all about doing research before we talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's plenty of other podcasts who do thorough research. We uh, No, we'll let them do that. Uh, the NBA preseason games have tipped off. The NBL season's in full swing. Well, though, it's been fun. We will uh, we'll sit back and watch this one. Uh, we'll get out on socials this week. We'd love to involve... Everyone out there who listens, uh, we'd love to to steer the conversation the way you'd like it to go this this uh, season. Is it is it a season? Yeah, this season. season this season. We'll have, we'll have conversations. We'd love to bring in. The hey, can I just so, uh, before we sign off? Um, you to plug your bike riding. Two things. No, it's, I'm not plugging. I'm just saying thank you. Um, we're I, between the NBL and the podcast being given multiple shout-outs and all that. I really appreciate everyone that's donated. I know people that listen to this podcast has donated to the cause, which is unreal and um, far exceeded my expectations of what I'd be able to fundraise for this, but it is something that is near and dear to my heart. So thank you for everyone that donated. I really appreciate it. The second point is um, not next week, but the week after, um, We'll have a special podcast where we're actually in the same room at the same time, um, because I'm, I'm. Well, can I say we've we've, th we've threatened to do that one other time? We got the one done in the car, and the time we we're meant to do it. Yeah, a few beers got in the way. We didn't quite get. Well, that. I feel like there's a fair chance we could get this done uh, this time, and it will be funny. It'll be hilarious, and we'll have a few cans under our belt while we do it. So I look forward to doing that one with you. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring some. <laughs> Maybe with some special we'll guests. Some guests in there. there we go. Yeah, yeah. We might do a round table. I don't have enough microphones. We don't have a studio like most podcasts. <laughs> All right, well, we'll chat to you next week. Cheers, mate.